Hello everybody out there in podcast land. Uh, my name is Tim Gandy. Uh, most of the time you're looking for Matt here. Matt had some stuff he had to do today and so he couldn't come. And this week I could be here. I was really hoping we would be together. Uh, but that obviously didn't work out. Uh, so this would be the second time I've ever had to do one of these all on my own. So I uh, can't promise everything will be perfect. Uh, there's lots of from my view from where I'm at there's all kinds of buttons to push and everything else I'm not a complete idiot in those regards but uh, unfamiliar so for those of you that are sending in comments and and watching the podcast today I can't see any of that Matt's off monitoring that elsewhere and uh, uh, so just bear with me today uh, we're gonna we're still in the book of Romans and uh, it's been a pretty good study even for me it's not the first time I've studied it but uh, there's always something different that I find and I, I enjoy that for those of you that struggle with even studying in one place or another I understand that but the thing is is to pick up and start doing it uh, that probably sounds kind of commanding coming out of my voice I just realized that and I don't I don't mean it that way but on one hand it is an imperative which is why uh, crucible fire uh, has kind of gotten into the place where learn teach and repeat is a big deal and I'm not trying to give you platitudes on that uh, it's not the essence of being the academic genius in it it's the function of learning who your God is and that's a two-way street so he gives us the capacity to do that we've been studying that kind of stuff but then there's also an element in that uh, and we're talking about saved individuals now if you don't know what a saved individual is just hold that thought uh, but we're talking about saved individuals, and so there is a work function in there. Uh, biblical terms would call that works, and all kinds of weird conversations can come out of that. But just stay with me on this. It's, it's the things you do to find out about the kingdom and then how those things influence you and teach you, and then you change and become. So the fancy term is called sanctification, and that's being changed and morphed into something of a, we would call a follower of God or a follower of Jesus, becoming more like him relative to some of the things that we've read. So uh, we're kind of going to jump right in here. Uh, Matt's going to come back later and give you lots of good announcements and progress that's going on with the development of the other mission of Crucible's Fire, uh, aside from this podcast. And... He talks a lot about the app, uh, but the app is not the reason. The reason is, is that uh, we've developed a process to be able to help people learn to read in the Bible better and to study it uh, in a way, and it's no big secret, it's just the bones and the basis of, of learning how to read it and how to study different languages. And that app uh, is just a culmination of uh, we've gone down and led classes and we bring the resources to them in different kind of books and this is a way that we can do it uh, electronically so that one it's a lot less money and uh, uh, it's a lot more efficient and efficiency and money are not the aims to make it better it's the aim of being able to take those things and give them into the hands of people that can use them and will use them and so he'll be able to update you a lot more on that so let's kind of look at, uh, we're going to be talking in Romans 7 today, uh, 
always seem to keep flipping back into the other chapters. Uh, and the reason for that is, is at least when I study, I'll find something I'm reading. So I may be reading through chapter 7 in this case, and I see something, and I think, I've seen that before, or I've seen something that's referenced, uh, something that supports that. And so I keep looking back. That is a tool in studying. Uh, the Bible says, or we know that God is the same in the beginning as he is in the end, or so the Bible tells us, and it tells us that in Revelation. And he says it in other ways in various places through the scripture. Uh, but he holds a prominent spot. And if this really is the word of God, if this book that we read and we keep beating you up about reading it and reading it and reading it, if it really is the word of God, then the things that he's saying there and things that we pick out and say that it does, as far as in this case, it justifies itself. So many, many people wrote this thing. Over a long period of time, this thing was what they call canonized and put it in one book form that we have in whatever version that you have. But if it really is the word of God, then you should be able to find him moving and working wherever you're reading at and historically and future-wise, you should see the same things about who God is and how he works and what he does. And not only what he does, but how he deals with us. And so, outside people that are unsaved or don't believe in God, they'll look at us and they'll say, that's crazy. And Paul even said that. If I'm doing all this stuff and it's not true, then it's all on me and no harm, no foul, right? So, that's how I believe. That's the sovereignty of things. And reading in, in Romans, Romans is a great book because it touches on all the things. The sovereignty of it, his salvation of us, how, how messed up that we really would be without him and what he did from the beginning of time and through now, uh, how he took care of that to make us righteous in his eyes. Uh, it speaks a lot of that in, in chapters uh, 3 and 5. And, and, and we've read that. And so he did all of that. He made all of that transpire. And so reading in chapter 7, I'm not going to go back and beat up a lot of the, well, not really mean beat up, but uh, I'm not going to go read in depth in the other chapters. But I do kind of want to peruse through a couple of some things that I've learned since I've been reading through this or that I was reminded of or were able to look at in a different way. Um i got to flip my page here. So, in Romans 1, some, these are some of the things I wrote down. That the things of God in the kingdom are known to the unsaved and the saved alike. Creation itself, if you want to get into the, the meticulousness of the creation and all that stuff, and the tree, photosynthesis, I mean, any of those kinds of things. And in ourself, that can only be done by something that is as powerful as God is. And so, that's one of the things that I wrote down out of it in chapter 1. The things of God and the kingdom are known. And that he judges each individual individually. Now, that's important for some of the stuff that we're fixing to talk about. Uh, that was in Romans 2, uh, in 2.6, I think. That he looks at you. And whatever it is that you wear in your pursuit of him, and not just in him, but as you see him and as it makes changes in you, as that sanctification is done and taken care of, 
we tend to look at it and go, well, I'm not doing the right things. And this is looking at it as from a law perspective. The law says this, this, and this. And I try to do those things, but I don't seem to do those things. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute. Uh, but however it is that you respond to that, if you believe that it's God and you believe that that's his word and you believe that you want to do better, whether you succeed or you don't or whatever that is, and I guess if you looked at it on a trend line, <clears throat> as you've dealt with God in whatever manner that is, however it is he's showed himself to you, however it is that you have worked to make yourself more like him to do the things that he wants through just sheer obedience and how that changes you. And at least in my experience, I always find out what he's doing and where he's been and what he's done by looking back. It's really hard to look forward and know where I'm going to be and how I'm going to obey and what I'm going to do. But I'm able to look at the mistakes and the successes as I look back on that thing. And I can see those. And so as the trend line, it goes like this. It's kind of wavy, but it, it keeps moving up. And if, as you look back and you see that, even in minor successes, but you see that there is progression, whatever that progression is, that's eventually where you're going to be judged. And he does it on you. He's not going to look back and say, well, I see the circumstances at hand and that's why you did, so I'm going to be lenient on you. He looks and measures at how you really do with the things as you see and present, that he presents to you and how you respond to that. That was a lot of talking over a little bitty thing, and I'm sorry about that. But that's what I got out of it. He judges each of us as individuals. Um, oh, let's see here. Chapter 3 and 4, or chapter 3. It tells me that let God be found true. <laughs> that's real simple. Chapter 3, verse 4. And let it be found that God, let it be found or let God be found true. That's how it's worded in my Bible. It might be different. And that that statement that he made in there is not like a philosophical and let God be found true. It was more of a statement. You're going to find that God is true. That's where it's leading to. We talked a little a couple of weeks ago about the sovereignty of God and how it is that we kind of see that. And these are things that help build my sovereignty. Again, if what the Bible says, that we accept that he wrote it, that he or he put the words in people's mouths and they wrote that, and this would be considered the word, the God speaking, and that's the basis that I'm taking it from, it's statements like this. Uh, that the thing that God is known by the things that we see, regardless of what your, your salvation status is, that God will be found true. Uh, that was in chapter 3. Uh, in chapter 4, uh, it talks about uh, uh, belief, and it uses Abraham as an example of that. And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, that Abraham just believed what God told him through his time and walking with, with God over a period of time. And when God said, I'm going to make a great nation or many nations from you, a great nation of you, he believed him. He believed him based on the fact of who he knew he was. Even though that he and Sarah tried to make that come true on their own power, uh, and it messed up horribly, it says that he still believed him after that. And then God, through his timing and his function, he made it transpire, and it still worked out despite what happened in that. But it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So it, Abraham just believed what he said he was going to do, even though he goofed it up. 
Uh, but that's what I got out of chapter four uh, in that is it just believe it when he says that as you read or you hear someone else speak things about the kingdom and they're true and they're what the word says it is and it hits you about something about yourself or about what's going on or what you see and you just believe it uh, in that regard. Uh, and then in chapter five, there's a lot of things in chapter five that I took out of that. But because of our belief, faith is made. Uh, and that kingdom principles work, whether you're a believer or not. <laughs> so in Romans chapter five, uh, two through four, it talks about, well, I'll just read them here right quick. I said I wasn't going to go back, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, it says, through whom also we have, uh, we have obtained our introduction by faith into grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. So those are the things that I pulled out of five, and these are all stacking up from, from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five. Uh, and then in... Uh, uh, well, I'm going to skip back to chapter 6 here in a minute because it's relevant for what we're going to start talking about. But in chapter 7, chapter 7 really starts in verse 20 of chapter 6. So I'm going to read this. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? The law showed something that was truth. That you may or may not have been doing didn't think anything about and now you see it you believe that it was god's word and now you feel shamed because you did it and you may still be doing it that's what he's talking about there for the outcome of those things is death that's that's before so you could say that the uh unsaved people really don't count in all this they don't know anything even if they read the bible they can read it and they can feel the shame and they can do all those things uh, because chapter one tells us that everybody knows that God is who he says he is. May not be able to articulate it in that realm, but they know that there's something bigger than them and from an eternal point of view. All that's been implanted. We've talked about a lot of that stuff. Um, but the saved person who has been redeemed, we talked about that in, in chapter 5 and 6, and that God redeemed you, now the loss, as you read it, you start seeing things and in some way or another, you may be associating it uh, to not just things you're not supposed to do, but you can kind of see it as how it relates to eternity. Maybe not in real clarification. In future study, you'll help bring that stuff to light, which is why we keep encouraging you to do that. He said, but you are ashamed of those things. For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, this is the saved people, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, and the outcome of that is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And here's where chapter 7 starts. Or do you not know, brethren, I'm speaking to those of you who know the law, so at least in our church circles, all of us know the law in some respect. That's what the scripture says. That the law has justification over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. I'm going to stop right there for a second. If you've been through divorce function, don't look at this like we're talking about that right now. This is an example and a, and a 
uh, Paul is using this as an example of something that's delineated in the law. So just hold that thought and, and follow with me. It says, for the married woman, verse 2, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while she is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. All that is in this context, he's, he's reading something out of the law and he's saying, if the woman goes and marries somebody else, she's an adulteress. But if he is, if he dies, she's no longer under that function function of the law, and so now she can move on, sort of. Uh, and that's that's the comparison he's trying to make here. So don't take any big theological functions about marriage or divorce or any of that out of this one. Therefore, my brethren. You also, this is verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined together to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So in chapter 7, that's one of the things that I took out of that. All these things that he's done in the redemptive function, dying on the cross, all of our sins were wiped out. His anger and wrath were wiped out. That's one thing that we hadn't been able to talk about. But when Jesus was on the cross, who lived a perfect life uh, in relation to being obedient to God, he bore all of our sins from time past to future to whenever all this ends. All of that black, dark, ugly stuff, Christ took it upon himself, and the wrath of God was poured out on it. That's why we were redeemed. He took the blunt. He took the blow for you and I. And he did that in chapter 7. Here at the end of verse 4, it says, in order that we might bear fruit for God. (laughs) That's exciting to me. I mean, it might be kind of going, okay, well, what does that mean for you? Well, hold on. Uh, So he's explaining what it's like to be under the law and how the natures are. And that's what we're fixing to talk about here in a minute. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Talked about that in some earlier chapters. We're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Matt talked about that a little bit last week in baptism, uh, being buried with Christ and being and, uh, uh, raised in the newness of life. Uh, because of what transpired on the cross, he's taken our sinful nature killing it, burying it where it's put away forever and a new one of us has come up. And now the things that chained us down in the law that we even see now, that we know what lie, cheat, and steal uh, the most heinous individual on the planet will lie, cheat, and steal and laugh about it. We learned about that in chapter 1 that people do things that are unholy and ungodly and they do those things intentionally on purpose. And they even know they're ungodly. And they, they cheer people that do. But they also know inside what they're doing. Now that's a whole other subject. But the reason I bring it up is. Is because that. Uh, uh, I just lost my train of thought. I can't do that on a podcast. Where you're being radiated out all over the world. 
Uh, so let me read this again. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. That's where I was going. And so, but us, me and you, lie, cheating, and stealing. We see that in the scriptures for what it is. And we may still do it. Well, I don't do any of those things. Well, you ever tell a story to one of your kids or something? Or especially when you're a kid and you get caught. You know, you even if you end up telling the truth, you'll say these lies or something in there. And so... Uh, just just picking on lie, cheating, and stealing because that's what everybody believes. But the most heinous person on the planet will do those things. And the reason you should know it's eternal is because the first time somebody lies, cheats, or steals against them, all of a sudden it's a big deal. That's an eternal anchor right there. And they may not know why they're doing that, but it's implanted in us. And so it's that evil and it's that tension. So even the unsaved, ungodly people will deal with that tension in one way or another. So what that means for us uh, is that we kept serving that. We kept doing the things we don't. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me keep going here. And so he said, uh, uh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. So that we serve in a newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter and the letter was always done by what we could do how do we make ourselves righteous toward god after all the things we've studied how do we make ourselves righteous toward god you you can't even make the statement you can obey things not make yourself righteous but you can start obeying the things that you see so i don't lie anymore don't mean I'm talking to me. I'm, I'm saying in general, <clears throat> yes, I'm not supposed to be lying anymore. Uh, but when I do something stupid, I'm probably going to say something stupid. And uh, even it may just come out as a knee-jerk reaction. <clears throat> That's because I've been shamed by it. I recognize it relative to the law. And the law is how God says things are supposed to be. And again, I know I can't beat that. But I can say, you know what? I just told you a lie. And I confess. And I'm sorry about that. And I'm not going to do that anymore, and I'm going to work towards that end. That's the difference uh, of working in the newness of life. I'm not condemned by that. <clears throat> um, this is a lot easier when Matt's here, because we can go back and forth. I don't have to carry the load. Uh, so, chapter 7. So he keeps making uh, comparisons to that, and it's really good. I would read all of it. But for time's sake, I'm going to condense down. And I'm going to get down to uh, verse 13. <clears throat> Therefore, did that which is good become the cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my, my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So in other words, on us being on the safe side and the things you just read about and the things that we know are true, we're still manipulated by that. We think that if we're in a perfect place and we're right with God, that we're not even going to be influenced by sinful nature. And I'm, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. So in verse 14, this is where we're getting into the conflict of natures. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. And this is Paul saying this. This is the guy that we hold up as the pillar of being a real Christian. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, 
when I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law. That means he's comparing the law. The law is telling me why I know that I'm what I'm doing is wrong. Confessing that the law is good. That means that this written law in the Old Testament before Christ was proven that it was what it's God's word. But by me seeing that I don't like what I'm doing, I am confessing the fact that the law is true. So you need to have the law. For now, verse 17, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. <clears throat> For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very things I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. Okay, so that's where I wanted to go. Um, time. Looking good. So, as a saved Christian and a follower of the kingdom, you're going to sin. And it's actually going to come to the point, especially the more developed that you get. By developed, I mean you study the Word, you pursue God, not just reading the Word and not just because you pray, but you're getting revelation. You're seeing things about God in these things, and you're agreeing with Him, and your life is being changed. I've had people tell me over my lifetime that at some point, I can't get into the big story, that I did change. Uh, I don't really see it. I still think I'm as worthless as I was before then. But there was a walk and a difference and a difference in the mind and the difference in the heart. And so my point is, is that the same thing it said in chapter one, that all men know by the very creation that God is and that he is who he says he is. Uh, so in our states, when we're going against God, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. That's nothing new. So what I wanted to get, or I'm not going to read all of it. But in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So being saved and following Christ, and as you study to show yourself approved, it says, that is kind of a mandate. How do you know what to do if you're not studying it? And you need to study it, not just go to church and listen and receive and have it all poured in. That helps. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm telling you that it told us in chapter 2 that he judges us individually. He's going to look at that and see where did you go with what I gave you to help make that better or different? Or how did that work? You're not going to have to articulate all that. He's going to know what it is. But what are you doing to pursue the kingdom? That's what that means. And so all the way back in Adam and Eve, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, I think, Adam and Eve lived in the garden. They had conversations with God. They even had things where they probably argued with him on one occasion or another. I don't mean like violent arguments. I just mean like how they may have seen it. And he tells them one way and they're going back and forth figuring that out. But they still believe God. And in the end, they do whatever he wanted to do because they understood they had the capacity not to. That's my point. And so when Satan shows up and entices Eve and he says, you surely will not die. Now, whether they believe that it would really believe that she's going to drop dead right then, I don't know. But what I do know is that Satan uses truths and half-truths. 
Now, we're talking about saved people right now, okay? So they had communion with God. They were righteous. They were clean. They were doing all these things, and they weren't even worried about God being around. That's how close they were to him. And then Satan shows up, and he starts talking to her about this, this, this tree of good and evil. Everybody calls it an apple or whatever, whatever fruit it was. He says, look at it. It's really cool. It's, it's nice, and it's pretty, and, it, and, it, and it's pleasing. And he says, Eve looked at it, and she said, it is. And he said, he said that you would surely die. You won't surely die because Satan knew that she wouldn't physically just drop dead right there. And that it is pleasing and to this. And he said, reach out and touch it and grab it. And she did. And she and it, the enticement's becoming more and more. And it's and the enticement is not on an eternal view. At that point in time, the enticement was in her and her flesh right there in that time, not thinking about. The eternalness of God or the or or the future of what's going on she was getting wrapped up right where she was at and she takes a bite out of the thing don't know how fast it came to her what she did was wrong but she calls Adam over and like we do when we get in a bad spot we try to bring people in with us and she gets him in the middle of that and he he took it why he did it doesn't matter doesn't doesn't matter uh, why he did they both knew the commandment of God and probably right after that you know who knows what happened to Satan man he probably ran off laughing right then they knew and they had fallen from in a in a in a, in a I guess the picture would be they knew the law but the law was good for them before all that happened and they knew it was wrong just because God said it was wrong and they took it and they fell into the moment right there. And that's what they did. Um, and so there's that. That was a willing action. They blamed Satan and they blamed each other. But they knew that they just didn't follow what God had told them to do. They knew that they didn't obey. That's the crux of it. And that's where we are. So as sanctification begins to take place. And in Romans 7 here where uh, 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 Paul's talking about that, that for the good I want to do, I know the kingdom. And in Paul, and you got to understand, he was well-versed academically in all these things. But the same action takes place wherever you are with God. Whatever Bible knowledge you have, whatever you know about the kingdom, that's where God starts. He doesn't measure you on something that you should be from point end to point beginning. He looks at where you are right there and how you deal with what you have. And in the love of him, you pursue to try to know more about him. It's the same thing when man and woman get together and you got a boyfriend, girlfriend. Not everybody does this, but in general, you know, they're working to try to do things to impress each other, to do things for one another because they want them in that presence. And then after you've been there for a while, uh, especially when things start going south or it's misinterpreted and people go south. Uh, it's not as exciting anymore, maybe. And that's kind of the way it was with Adam and Eve and God before the fall. They were around him so much, they not a bad not in a bad way. But they were just used to him being around, so they really didn't even think about him. They weren't even eat up with trying to find out who he was and where he was at until after they fell. That's the guilt. 
And so Paul says that we have this nature, that we've been saved, we've been redeemed, and in our action, in our mind, and in our spirit, we're trying to look for the things of the kingdom, which is why you need to read the word, and you need to pursue things with like believers, not to form things so that there's a certain way you do it so you don't fall into evil. You're going to fall into evil even if you do that. The point is, is to fill yourself with the things of the kingdom in the word and in the action. And as the mind and the heart change and the spirit is educating you on those things and you become better than what you were, something may come up in a moment where your, your angst is to have or I'm going to do this. That's the conscious effort right there. That, in that moment, I want to do this, even though I know it's not right, or it's not eternal, or whatever it is, and you can call it a fallacy, you can look at drug addicts and stuff that it's almost like they can't do it anymore because they took the sample, things have happened in their body, and and then it, uh, uh, they'll do really good. And then something will come into play where it's tempting or enticing or they, you know, whatever it is, or they just see it or they just get a thought in their head. You know what? I'd sure like a hit right now. You can do that with any action that you have. You can be mean. You can be arrogant. You can chase after something that you know is not righteous or real. And you can be a saved individual and you can be, well, you are. If you're saved, you are redeemed but you still are going to fight with those things of the flesh. And it looks like, well, you got to be loose-handed and easy. Well, I don't know, personalities play into that to some respect, but I had a friend of mine say that I would rather read the Scripture and try to follow it specifically, even if it makes me look rigid and mean. He's talking about for himself. He's not talking about imposing it on others. Because then I'm probably going to be better off because maybe it'll keep me from doing the things that I'm looking to do. More so than it would if I didn't do that. That's just straight up obedience, brothers and sisters. Listen, I'm not anything to hold up as an example in that. But I do want to strive to do that. That's the good like Paul was talking about. I think that. I see that. I see the eternal value in it and pursue it. And try to keep myself in places where I'm not dealing with Satan, where he's enticing me right here in the moment to do what I want. And I don't know about y'all, but I'll even look for a place. I'll think of something I want to do. I'll go find a place so that I can be enticed more. <laughs> That's the fallen nature. And I'm a kept child of the Lord. The end of this thing that I really want to say in here, in verse 21, it says... I find then that the principle that evil is present in me. So with all that said, Paul says at the end of that, I'm an unrighteous man that I am and I do things I don't want to do. He says in verse 21, this is one of the things that I pulled out of, of chapter 7. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. What that means is, is outside of everything of the kingdom leading you you know what it is you love it you know the greatness of it you see the value of it for your family and not just you don't just see the value I'm a human I'm assessing the value of the kingdom that almost seems kind of stupid but as a created being and his spirit resonating in me I see the value in that I see the eternal value in the in the in the end of it really 
but in me I still have all this wickedness is available. In Ephesians chapter 5, I can't remember the exact verse, but basically it says evil doesn't stop. So when I'm sanctifying and doing all these things, that evil that is within me, and it's your own nature in that. It's not in the skin of your flesh. Some people will tell you that. If that was the case, you were created with that flesh. Adam and Eve were created with that flesh. It was not evil. So there is a, a theology going around that the evil is like made as part of your flesh. If that was the case, then God's not who he says he is. Those are willful actions on us is what that is. The desire for that thing. Well, I have the desire because. No, if you can recognize the fact that you have the desire for it, then God has shown you that it is evil, and now you need to start working on how to deal with that. And he makes you have to work with him over it, by the way. That's a whole other conversation. But you have the evil in you. You can be the best person on the planet. I was a policeman for a good number of years, and the things that I've seen uh, in my military life when I was younger and deployments and other things and doing stuff, People are messy and messed up. I've seen some of the worst things. I couldn't even articulate these, some of you, or a lot of you, the things I've seen and watch what people do, and we're abhorred when we see it. But the fact is, is any one of us are capable to do any of those things, according to the Word. Absent of the Spirit of God, you are a mess. And as a piece on that, just kind of wrapping this up a little bit, and it sounds like I'm ending on a negative note. That's not what I'm trying to do. Whatever part of the tribulation you believe in, if you understand what that is, whenever it is that God pulls his spirit out, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, not going to get into all that, but at some point or another, he's going to pull his spirit out. And when he does, it's not going to take man several years to finally crumble and crash. I think they're going to crumble and crash in a matter of days. Because what that means is when he pulls his spirit out, everything about him is gone. And the only thing left is us. And if you see the things that you strive for in the moment, that you are ashamed of and that you know are wicked, uh, even if they're minor, white lies, I'm just trying to give you something to grasp hold of there, that will be amplified by 10 million because that's the only thing that's going to be left. I don't really... That's eschatology stuff. and Maybe we'll study that sometime or another. But don't take this on a negative note. Remember what happened in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and the beginning of 7. He's already done all this stuff for us. We don't have to live that way anymore. That doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. And that's what Paul is telling us here in chapter in verse 14 through there, is that that is going to be there. If Paul struggled with evil, I guarantee you, well, I'm not telling you that. You already know that. If you struggle with things that you're ashamed of and evil, that's what it is. And sometimes you get ashamed of things and it's not really an evil thing. You're just trying to figure it out. But when you know what's true and what's right, obey it. And if you fail, remorse is not repentance. Repentance is looking at it, confessing it, saying, I'm not going to do that again. You may end up doing it again, but you're making a conscious effort to turn and not do that anymore. That's repentance. Remorse is just being sorry for what's happened. I mean, truly sorry for it. But that doesn't mean you've made the choice to repent from it. And so there is a difference between those two. 
And a good read on that is Cain and Abel. Go read Cain and Cain's response and his work with God in that. Cain was remorseful, but he was not repentant. And you can watch what transpired out of that. Well, I've done all the damage I can do. I think a couple weeks ago when I was with Matt, he introduced, he said, well, it's Mutt and Jeff again. And I'll, I'll take the Mutt part. <laughs> but I want you guys to be able to take the things that we give you here, not us giving it to you, but the Word of God and know that God is good. Everything we've read in that just amplifies that, or it does to me. He is good. And it's easy to read this and start going, man, I don't know nothing about anything, and it makes you not want to study. Don't look at it that way. It's equipping you. You're feeding, taking the Word of God, and it's feeding you, and it's feeding the Spirit within you. And there's going to be the struggle. But in chapter 5, it tells us that the struggle is what we're after. It's those things. And you turn to God when you start having those moments where you're right there and you're about to do something you say lord save me from this and put it away and do it and it's going to be a struggle but do it even on the little bitty things do it and if people look at you and go you're weird something wrong with you you know what be weird and i'm talking to myself here i'm not i'm not trying to tell you that i've arrived in that but it is a struggle and it's continuous but it is for the greater good of things that that happens for yourself but when God looks at you eye to eye and you look down and you say, I'm not worthy and I'm sorry, I did all these things wrong. He's going to look at all the things that you did do and, and how his word and those things transpired and made you better and better and better. And he's going to see that. And he's going to go, look at this. He is for you, brothers and sisters. He is for you. Will God go with you? Uh, Y'all have a great rest of your day. And... Uh, uh, blessings on you and thanks for thanks for hanging out with me we'll see you